Turn with me, if you have your Bible, John chapter 9. John chapter 9. This morning, uh, once again, uh, John uh, shares a lot of details about his stories, and uh, that's wonderful. Uh, sometimes it makes for longer stories. So we're going we're gonna to talk about the whole story today. Uh, we're going to start by just reading the scripture, the first 15 verses, uh, but then I'll be, I'll be handling the whole story, and we'll kind of narrate it together, um, different things. So keep your Bibles open if you have them with you, uh, but we're just going to read the first 15 verses, uh, but we'll be talking about the whole story in John chapter 9, starting in verse 1. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. Jesus' disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with the saliva and put it in the man's eyes. He said, go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who, asked, uh, and, uh, who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, that only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened? They asked. And he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Salome and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked. I don't know, he said. They brought, uh, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. And therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, in these moments, uh, will you take these uh, thoughts, these words, and turn them into the music of the gospel? May we see the true light of the world in these next moments, speak to our hearts, open our eyes. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This may be shocking to you, um, but I don't, I don't know if you've noticed, people have some pretty strong opinions these days. Uh, don't, don't be surprised by that, but you know, I think it's, it, it's probably as old as time as people have had strong feelings uh, and thoughts and beliefs about things. You know, it's the age-old saying you can't talk about religion or politics at dinner or in polite company. And that saying's been around uh, for a while. But it seems like today things are just a little more elevated. Uh, you, you just can't go uh, hardly to the grocery store without someone telling you their strongest opinion or belief on something. Um, I think it has something to do with technology that, you know, 
people have a platform and social media that they can just tell their innermost thoughts or their strongest beliefs at a moment's notice and everyone's kind of shouting back and forth at one another uh, online a lot of times. People have some pretty strong beliefs these days. I don't know if you've had a friend that has gotten into selling things online, uh, kind of using social media. Uh, I don't know if it's selling oils or a dietary supplement or different things. Boy, they talk about strong beliefs, right? If they get a hold of you, they won't let go at convincing you of their product. Uh, strong beliefs are everywhere in our society, in our world today. You can't avoid them as you go out and, and deal in society. And I think sometimes we are tempted to think that the stronger someone believes about something, kind of the more respect we have about that idea or something. Or say, at least they believe strongly about it, right? Sometimes we're tempted to think that the louder people shout or, or the more convicted they are about something, well, there must be something to it. They believe so strongly my point this morning where I'm getting at is sometimes even in the church, we confuse strong beliefs with deep faith. As we look at this uh, account in Scripture this morning in John chapter 9, uh, I want us to consider that. I think this story is a perfect example of difference between some people having some very strong beliefs and some people having deep faith. And I think what we're going to find in the story today is that actually strong beliefs can actually be counter. They can keep us from having the deep faith that we need to have in Christ. So let's, let's go to the text and see what it has to say for us this morning. We open up with Jesus and his disciples kind of walking through town. And uh, they, they see a blind beggar along the side of the road. And this kind of serves as a teaching opportunity for the disciples. Um, and we, we're not going to spend whole, too much time here this beginning question. Uh, but they ask a very important question. This could be its own sermon today. And they say, teacher, uh, Jesus, tell us who sinned that made this man blind? Was it he or his parents? You see, in, during this time, thousands of years ago, uh, Jewish thought was really that uh, if someone had a disability, if they got sick, if uh, something happened to them bad, then there must be sin somewhere involved. That, that they kind of are getting, they brought it on to themselves, right? This was a very ancient way of thinking, not only in, in Jewish circles, that something, they caused something. It was kind of an, just really idea of, uh, of karma. What goes around comes around, right? And so their question was, uh, and we see this conversation in the book of Job, uh, so it should, should be familiar to you. And I think sometimes we're tempted to think like this as well, even though we, we know what Scripture says on it. Say, oh, what did they do to deserve that, right? Uh, and so who sinned? Was it his parents? Because he was born blind. That's the real kind of thing they're trying to push Jesus on. He was born blind, so it must have been his parents, right? And then that's what they got. And Jesus here pretty much rebukes them. And this isn't the only example of this in Scripture. In all of the Gospels, Jesus has a similar conversation. He basically says, don't, don't be surprised when it rains on the just and the unjust. Right? That, you know, they're, they're, you can't judge someone's uh, faith. You can't judge their spiritual health 
based on what's going on in their lives. So they may be the richest of the rich, and that does not mean they've been uh, any favored by God more so than the beggar on the street. It doesn't mean they're any more spiritually healthy. And here, this is exactly what Jesus says. Just because you see that blind beggar on the street, you cannot assume that that man sinned or his parents sinned. In fact, Jesus says neither. And here I just want to stop to say that, please, for the sake of the gospel, hearing the words of Jesus, never look at someone who falls sick. Never look at someone who is uh, differently able than you are, maybe blind or deaf. Never, never assume or even say that it's anything related to anything they did wrong or sin. Jesus completely refutes that. Um, Jesus says that that is not the case here. That is not what's going on. And he does that time and time again. But I don't know if you noticed, I actually use the NIV translation today uh, because I didn't like the translation. I usually uh, use the NRSV, how they translate it here. But let me just read you Jesus' response in the Greek, like kind of a, a literal translation from the Greek. Here's what he says. Neither this man or his parents sinned, but in order that the works of God might be manifest in him, we must work the works of him who sent me, right? Jesus doesn't get into the trap of trying to explain to them uh, how this came to be. Where he starts at is the point of suffering. He starts at the point of hurt and says, given this hurt, given this pain, given this suffering in this man, look what God's going to do in his life. This man's difficulty can be turned into something beautiful by what God's going to do in him, right? And that's what Jesus comes into our scene. We all are going to suffer. Please do not be surprised when you suffer in your life. Don't be surprised when something happens to you, whether next week or 30 years from now. But look at what God can turn it into. God takes broken things and makes beautiful things. He takes our difficult and our burdens, and he can make grace and love and hope out of them. And that's what Jesus is saying. Never judge anyone uh, based on uh, the content of their life. But out of our difficulty, Jesus can turn it into something beautiful. And that's what Jesus says here. Here, the works of God can be manifest in his life. Um, for I am the light of the world. Blindness, seeing, light, runs through this entire story as we see. And then Jesus, uh, you know, he heals differently in almost every story. And after explaining this to the disciples, he simply takes up mud. And, and this is a point we might say, ooh, Jesus, uh, don't heal me in this way. Uh, maybe we'll do this later in the service. I'll bring up some mud. And, no, you wouldn't, you wouldn't come forward for anointing then. But Jesus picks up mud and he spits in it and rubs, uh, rubs it together and makes mud out of it and places it on the man's eyes. And we kind of miss it. Um, the pool of Siloam is not just like right there, right? It's far enough away that this is where Jesus parts with him. The man never sees Jesus until we're going to get later in the story. So Jesus, the man is still blind, mud on his eyes, and Jesus says, go wash in the pools of Siloam, and you'll be healed. And so the man doesn't, and, and does that very thing, and he is healed. And Jesus then kind of is out of the story, right? And it's all about the man's story, uh, down in his town. He's kind of around his hometown now, walking around seeing, and people are saying, uh, there's something different about Larry, right? That's not his name in scripture. Uh, I just kind of like to give him his name. We don't find out his name. Something different about Larry. Larry, where's, where's your stick that helped you walk? 
No, that's not Larry. They kind of have this debate in the town whether that's Larry or not. No, 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 that can't be him. We know no one sees after they've been born blind. He says, yeah, it is me. It's me. And so, well, how did this happen? Well, this man, Jesus, he, he healed me. He put mud on my eyes and he healed me. And they say, where is he? I don't know. You know, it, it's kind of, we see that this man is very humble. He doesn't know a lot. He says, I don't even know where he is. People say, okay. But then the Pharisees hear about it, right? And the Pharisees are upset because we learn kind of a crucial detail that this healing was done on the Sabbath. And you're not supposed to be, do any work on the Sabbath. The, uh, the Jewish people and the Pharisees, they had very strict kind of guidelines about what you could and could not do on the Sabbath. A Sabbath keeping, we don't want to throw stones at immediately, Sabbath keeping was very important because that's kind of one of the main dividing lines of what separated you uh, from the Romans, right? They were living under Roman rule, and so they had to di differentiate themselves as God's holy people. And one of the ways they did that was they kept the Sabbath. And so here they considered Jesus breaking the Sabbath, and they took that very seriously. And so they bring him in and says, hey, what happened here? The Pharisees are kind of drilling him. Uh, how did this man heal you? And, um, he, and, Je and he said, Jesus, yeah, he healed me. And, and, uh, and they couldn't figure out the Pharisees. There's division between the Pharisees. Some are saying, hey, uh, you know, this man must be of God because no one can do a miracle like that without being of God. And the other Pharisee said, no, 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 he, he has to, he's a sinner. He can't do healings because he broke the Sabbath law. They were divided over some very deeply held beliefs. And so he asked the man, hey, who do you say he is, Larry? You're the one walking around seeing, who do you say he is? And Larry, at this time, again, humble guy says, he must be a prophet. He must be a prophet because he healed me. And so they didn't like that answer, and so they send him away. And, and the Pharisees are still really, they're really bothered by this. And so they say, hey, I know. We're going to call the guy's parents in. We're going to call his parents in, and they'll tell us. Because the real question is, is they think they're being defrauded, right? They think this guy has always been able to see. And so they want to bring his parents in, so they bring his parents in. And his parents are kind of scared because Pharisees hold authority uh, in the town, and so they drill him. Is this your son? Yes. Was he born blind? Yes. How can this be? And parents say, hey, we weren't there. Don't talk to us. Talk to our son. He's grown. Have you ever had to say that? My child's grown. You can talk to them. You know, They're adults. Uh, they're here. Uh, and so they do. They bring back the man a second time. And they're so frustrated. They just tell him, uh, give glory to God by telling the truth. We know, we know this man is a sinner. The man, uh, Larry, as I've called him, responds, I, I don't know about all that, but I do know that I was once blind, and now I see. And the, the blind man, Larry, kind of sticks it to the Pharisees a little bit. He's like, why are you so worked up about this? Do you want to become his disciples too? Ooh, that really got the Pharisees good. So they, they got frustrated, and, and uh, they start going back to them, uh, going back and forth between them. They say, we're the real disciples of Moses. We're the real disciples of, we know God talked to Moses. We don't know who this man is. Obviously, he's a sinner. And Larry 
kind of sticks it back to him. This humble man who's been a blind beggar all of his life. He kind of schools the Pharisees. And he says, you think you know so much, I'm paraphrasing here, but you don't know where this guy even came from. You don't know who he is. And you think he's a sinner, but there's no way a sinner could make me, a blind man, see again. He is from God. And the Pharisees definitely don't like to hear that. And so they kind of give him a holy cussing out. They just say, get out of here, Larry. You were born steeped in sin. Remember the opening conversation that Jesus had with his disciples? Either this man or his parents have sinned, and now the Pharisees are throwing him out, saying he is just steeped in sin. I don't, it's easy reading this story just kind of despise the Pharisees. Kind of just say, boy, uh, what, what just an awful bunch. Notice that it wasn't all the Pharisees that were saying this. There was division among the Pharisees. But also, I think we should understand that if we're honest, all of us, if we're in the faith long enough, if we've grown to have enough understanding, we can be tempted to be the Pharisees as well. That the Pharisees were falling into the trap. They really, their main concern was that we can't be breaking the Sabbath laws. We can't be promoting a guy that's breaking the Sabbath laws. Those are very important to our faith. But they're a vivid example, almost a tragedy, about the difference between really strong beliefs and the difference between that and a deep faith. And here's what I mean by that. The Pharisees, they had some very strong beliefs. Do you notice that in the scripture this morning? They knew beyond a shadow of a doubt they were right, didn't they? I mean, the Pharisees, they, they believed in God. They believed in God. The Pharisees, they knew sin was dangerous. They knew to stay away from sin. That's what this whole conversation is about, sin. They knew that. You know, some people say, boy, we just need a stronger stance on scripture. If you just really... Let me tell you, the Pharisees had the strongest stance on Scripture of anybody. They believed Moses dictated the first five books of the Bible directly from God, right? They, had, they knew the Scriptures better than anybody, and they had a strongest stance on Scripture. And yet that didn't save them. They knew they needed to be God's holy people. They had some really strong beliefs. But what they were missing was faith. They had strong beliefs coupled with a very shallow faith. Because faith is a trust in God in very different situations. Faith is an openness to God about whatever God will do, whatever God wills, whatever God is leading us, we are open and ready to follow it, right? Because our strongly held beliefs make us rigid and say, no, it has to follow in this order. It has to work within my system. But faith is open to God. Faith says, God, wherever you will lead me, even if it doesn't fit my expectations. Faith says, God, I am open to do your will even if I don't like it all the time. See, here's, here's my concern. You say, Pastor, you're kind of splitting hairs here. Here's my concern, that it was the Pharisees' strongly held beliefs that kept them from seeing and following Jesus. 
is they couldn't get on board with what Jesus was doing because it was out of their box, it was out of their expectations, and it was their strongly held beliefs that made them refuse God in the flesh. And in fact, later would lead them to crucify him. The Pharisees were so sure that they knew who was in and who was out, what sinners looked like and what saints looked like. And they wouldn't listen to anyone or anything that told them different what they knew to be a fact. You see, in the Gospel of John, I don't know if you've noticed it yet, but sin is always in the singular. Sin uh, isn't really, in the Gospel of John, a list of things that you do wrong. Sin is simply a state. Sin is defined in the Gospel of John whether you have accepted Jesus or if you have refused Jesus. As we're going to look at through the story, uh, the different the sin of the Pharisees is not that they've done a number of things wrong. Their sin, the core sin, is that we refused, they refused what God was doing in Jesus Christ. For us, the chief sin that we can do, and often it's fueled by strong beliefs, is that we refuse what God is doing in Jesus Christ in the world today. That we oppose Jesus when he tries to lead us. This is the danger of the Pharisees that I want to point out to us today. You know, there's, there's a few key ways you can tell that you have shallow faith or someone has shallow faith, but they have some really strong beliefs. Uh, one of them is that they can't stand to hear someone that disagrees with them or thinks differently than them, right? We see that so clearly in the Pharisees. I mean, they're just yelling at the guy. You're steeped in sin. Get out of here. We can't even listen to that. Have you ever come across someone like that? That's someone that has weak and little faith. Oh, boy, but they got strong beliefs, and they're sticking to them. They can't handle in some. We're going to disagree sometimes in good faith. We're not going to always see and understand things the same, and that's okay. Don't let that get you tripped up. As someone that has uh, strong beliefs but shallow faith, their voice has to be the loudest, right? Their, their perspective, their ideas have to be heard. And that's what the Pharisees are saying. They can't listen to the guy. They send him out. They're shouting at him. They can't bear to listen. Uh, someone that has strong beliefs but weak faith, they don't like to see any innovation. They don't like to see any change, right? They struggle to see newness, what God may be doing differently, Sometimes when we have strong uh, beliefs and weak faith, we always want to just keep it the way we've always done it. But here's the news, folks. God is fresh and new. God never changes, but the way he works in the world looks differently at different times. And we must be open to way, what God wants us to do to have deep faith. You know, when we have uh, strong beliefs but weak faith, I don't know if you've experienced this, but... Uh, Sometimes in Christianity, we want people, whatever our experience was, however we came to know God, that has to be everybody's experience. Have you ever seen that? You know? Do you, do you notice that this man's coming to Jesus is different than most? It's kind of a progression. He kind of slowly goes from, uh, he's never even seen Jesus, he doesn't even know where he is, to call him a prophet, and then when we're going to end the story, he's going to see clearly who Jesus is, right? But not everybody comes to Christ in the same way. Uh, for some, it is an instantaneous act at an altar. For some, it may be a year-long progression, coming to church, uh, dealing with things. 
before they fully give their lives over to Christ. It may happen differently, but don't get tripped on, on that your experience has to be everyone's experience. Have faith that God can work in a multitude of ways and multitudes of lives. The danger, the chief danger, though, you can see when someone has strong beliefs but weak faith is when they're okay talking about God. They love to talk about God and debate about God, and they'll even talk about how God is so loving and gracious and merciful, and yet hardly any of that is reflected in their lives. That they haven't opened themselves to the renewing and the transforming of God's grace, and so they can talk about it all day long, and it's an idea, and it's a framework, but little of it has seeped into their lives and really changed them into a loving, gracious person that reflects God in the world. And the church, it wasn't just in Judaism at this time, the church is always tempted becoming like the Pharisees. Have you noticed why there's had to be so many reform movements in the history of the church? Reform has had to come from the outside because we didn't want to hear anything different sometimes in the church throughout its history. So we think of the Great Reformation 500 years ago. We think of even our own denominations. We were called to a, a new way to call, called to uh, be with the hurting and the poor in society. God's reform movement has come from the outside a lot because people like the Pharisees on the inside didn't want to listen. They held to their strongly beliefs. But fortunately, in the story, we see another way. We see uh, that there's someone else besides the Pharisees that is learning to live a life of faith. Larry, as I've called him, is the example of deep faith. Larry, you, 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 you may not be able to say that he's the wisest man in the bunch. He doesn't know much. He's, in fact, he's blind. He's probably never read the scriptures. Most people during this time were illiterate. He's not known much, but he has experienced Jesus. Jesus said towards the end, after this period of the Pharisees in the scripture, Jesus hears that this man was thrown out of the synagogue by the Pharisees. And so Jesus goes to him uh, and he says, hey, Larry, do you believe in the Son of Man? And uh, Larry, I love it. He's humble, right? He doesn't say, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, I know who that is. Yeah, yeah, let me tell you. What does Larry says? Show him to me so that I may believe, right? Show me and I'll believe. He, he knows Jesus. He called him a prophet. He knows, what, he knows what he's talking about. And Jesus tells him, of course, it is I. You are talking with him. I am he. And then we go in a conversation about judgment. The son of man uh, figure here is a, a, the figure from Enoch. It was the expected one who would come at the end of time to bring God's judgment. The son of man was the eternal uh, figure of judge, God's judgment coming to earth at the end of time. And here Jesus is saying, I am the son of man. I am that figure that brings judgment to the earth. And again, it was much different than the Pharisees would have ever expected. That God didn't end time when he brought judgment, but by Jesus coming into the world, us deciding for or against Jesus was our judgment. And that's what Jesus says here to them, that he is bringing judgment. I bring judgment. Judgment here isn't condemnation. Jesus says, I didn't come to condemn the world. But here judgment is that people have to choose whether they're for me or against me, whether God is 
In me, I represent God or I don't. That is the judgment that Jesus brings, that he forces us to choose. Does that make sense? That judgment here is a choosing, whether you're on Team Jesus, whether you're ready for the kingdom that Jesus is bringing, or you like the Pharisees, you are against Jesus. That is the judgment which Jesus brings, that he is the son of man that they're expecting. And the Pharisees, they kind of overhear this conversation, and you can kind of see them kind of with their arms crossed, and, the, and they say, uh, um, you know, boy, you know, surely we're not blind, are we, right? Surely we're not coming under judgment, are we, in the scripture? And uh, you can kind of hear them chuckling to themselves. These Pharisees, this is, a, this is a joke, pretty much. The Pharisees are saying, obviously, we're not blind. We have the scriptures. We're, we're descendants of Moses. We know it all, right? And Jesus says, hmm, if you were really blind, you wouldn't be guilty. But since you think and you claim that you see, your guilt remains, right? Jesus says, boy, if you, if you really were blind, if you had no understanding of these things, if you were far out and you'd never even heard of any of this, you wouldn't be guilty for your blindness, right? But because you claim to see, because you think you know it all, because of those strongly held beliefs that are keeping you grounded against me, then you are guilty for refusing me. You see, instead of trying to emulate the strong beliefs of the Pharisees, we are called to emulate the deep faith of the blind man. Do you notice the difference? The blind man didn't have the hangups of the Pharisees. He didn't have all the knowledge. He didn't have it all figured out. But he was radically open to what God was doing in Jesus Christ. That is the faith that we are called to do. You see, here's the thing. That when you follow Jesus, you're going to be stretched. God is going to surprise you. He's going to change your mind about things. He's going to convict you. He's going to lead you. He's not always going to fit in your box. Glory be to God. If he's really God, he shouldn't fit in your box. Amen? God is coming into our lives as when we experience Jesus to transform us and renew us and to form us into his image. So when we come to Jesus in faith, we have to be looking to be changed, to be moved, to be what we call, one of our big words, sanctified. But to do that, you have to be willing to be changed. You have to be open like the blind man. You have to have faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus said elsewhere, blessed is he who is not offended by me. That's one we kind of, doesn't really make sense. Who could get offended by Jesus? He was so nice, right? Obviously the Pharisees were pretty offended. It's because Jesus came and didn't fit in their box. And he called us to something deeper. He called us to the kingdom of God. And he says, don't be offended. Don't be turned away. Still come to me. A deep faith is an openness and a willingness to be changed and transformed by Jesus. A person of deep faith doesn't cling to a certain set of ideas, right? A person of deep faith doesn't cling to their own understanding of things all the time. A person of deep faith simply confesses that Jesus Christ is, a, Christ is the light of the world and I am open to his working in me and in the world. I follow Jesus. The chief thing of a person of faith is based on a relationship. How many of us in our marriages, uh, 
uh, well, let me speak from my own experience on Valentine's Day. I quickly found out how wrong I was when I got married a lot of times. Amen? Any of the men say amen to that, right? Yeah? Amen? I, it was on our honeymoon. I, and I'm not being facetious like wrong, like really wrong. Like, I, wrong. You know, I'm not just trying to be cute. I mean, we were trying to like uh, do directions on our honeymoon, right? We were in San Francisco. We'd rented a car for the day, driving around. And I, I had to come to terms with, I was not the best navigator in the car, right? That was a hard thing to overcome, right? Uh, and uh, it, it took, it's taken many years for me to admit that she is better directionally than me. It wasn't just like, I was wrong. I was wrong. Like I said, let's turn right here. And that did not get us where we were going, right? A person of deep faith, it's all about a relationship. It's never about anything you know or a system, a rigid system or anything. It's always about a relationship. Because in a relationship, when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're going to be shown wrong about some, some things. Even after you've been in the faith for many years, you're going to be corrected. You're going to be molded. You're going to be shaped. And that's okay. The danger is that it doesn't just happen 2,000 years ago. Jesus is still in our midst today. He is still present and working. And the danger is, is that Jesus is going to come to you about something, and you're going to say, oh, no, right? Oh, that's, and you're going to miss out on what Jesus is calling you to do in your life. So my point is today to be a person of deep faith is that you are all about a relationship with Christ that is open to being transformed, that you will follow him no matter what, that you stay humble, that you say, hey, I don't have it all figured out. I'll stand here today. I've had seven to eight years of theological training, right? I don't have it all figured out. I spent a lot of money on that training. I don't have it all figured out. You know, the more you learn, the more you find out you don't know. Staying humble, saying, I am still here to follow humbly in the footsteps of Jesus. And a person of deep faith since it's all based on a relationship, here's the good news. You're not shaken when things don't go out, don't go like you envisioned them to, right? I think this is you know, even Allie's testimony this morning. As we think about, we're going to be led into some difficult times. We may have a vision of how our lives are going to turn out, and it may turn out radically different. It may be some great periods of difficult. And a person just of strong beliefs that has little faith, they're going to be broken apart in those times, right? Because their belief, what they thought was going to happen is totally proven to be wrong. But if you have a deep faith, if you have that deep relationship with Jesus Christ, you can say, no matter what, it is well with my soul, right? I didn't see this coming. This was never in my framework. I, I didn't think I'd ever be here, but I have trust. I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. No matter what, I will go with it. That is deep faith. I hate to see people going through difficult times and say, this is wrecking my spiritual life. I, I, I can't believe in this circumstance. And, I, and my heart breaks for them because that's when we realize that maybe we just had some strongly held beliefs and we had little faith, right? What did Jesus say to the disciples when they woke in the boat freaking out? He said, ye of little faith. Faith is what we are after. Um, 
so my point is how we do this, I need to wrap it up here. How we do this, stay humble, stay open. Uh, Paul says we look through a mirror dimly lit, right? Um, I'm not saying just go with the flow and accept everything everybody says here, right? Um, we need to have faith seeking understanding. But the reason I want you to know the scriptures, the reason I want you to read your Bible is not because I want you to pass a test or know more than anybody else, because I want you to know Jesus. I want you to experience God and the flesh, to get to know him deeper and allow him to transform you. And to be a person of deep faith, that's what it's gonna be. It's not gonna be about how much I know or my position on A, B, and C and that I'm right all the time. What it's gonna be about for you is that, boy, I'm being changed. I'm becoming more like God. That is the core. That is what God wants for you, right? What chiefly, what think about Valentine's Day is what Jesus reveals to us, the light of the world that God is love. That God so loved the world, John said. So to be a person of deep faith, what has to be the core of your being above all else must be love. Jesus kind of pointed this time and time again, but I love how St. Paul writes it. It couldn't be Valentine's Day without reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. What does Paul say about this in summary? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, just a brief. He said, I, I could have all the prophetic powers. I could have all knowledge and understand every mystery. Can you imagine how much money you could make? Can you imagine how much fame you could get if you had all prophetic powers and could understand every mystery? You would be top of the world. Every church would want you to come speak at them. Paul says, if I have not love, I am nothing. Do you see the difference between some really strongly held beliefs and deep faith? Deep faith is what we're called to, an openness to follow and be shaped by God. All right, as the worship team comes up, we're going to respond today. Here's the image I want to leave us with, with this scripture. Uh, this blind man, uh, so humble, but sees for the first time. But the powerful act of seeing was really not in his physical sight. The powerful act of seeing was that he saw who Jesus really was. But here's the image I want to leave us with. Are you able to be molded by God, Right? Are you clay in the potter's hands? See, if we're just a person of strongly held beliefs, we're, we're brittle. We're like clay that has been dried out. You can't work with dry, clay that has been dried out. You can't mold it and shape it. It just breaks apart. It's crumbs in your hands. Rather, we are called to be a person of deep faith that is able to be molded and shaped by God. And what is God shaping and molding us into? The image of his son, Jesus Christ. So as we pray, as we take time to respond, we're going to sing that old, beautiful hymn, Amazing Grace. I want to take a time of prayer. You can pray at an altar about anything that, that's burdening you. We invite you to pray here. You can pray in your seat. But the question I want us to consider is, hey, what time of clay am I? Am I a person of deep faith that is able to be molded and shaped by Jesus Christ? Or have I become brittle? Have I, have I become rigid? What type of clay are you? Let us pray and sing today.
Let's continue in a time of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you and offer ourselves to be molded and shaped by you. Lord, I pray that we would never become brittle and stiff, that we would not recognize that Jesus walking among us, that we would not recognize what you are calling us to do, that we would ever refuse your grace and your leading in our lives. So I pray that for any of us that have depended more on our own understanding, that we have depended more on our own uh, strong opinions and beliefs rather than a faith in you, I pray that you would come and disrupt us, that you would uh, break us apart, that you would uh, make us malleable in your hands, that we would open ourselves to the working of your Holy Spirit. Maybe there's someone here that today that has never been able to give themselves to you fully. They've just been distracted or concerned or their strong beliefs have kept them from you completely. I pray that you would speak to that heart. May we give our entire life over to you to be shaped and molded into the image of your son. May your grace never stop molding us. May we always, no matter how far in the journey of faith we are, be open to your grace and your love and your mercy so that we may live transformed lives to be your holy people out in the world. May you open our eyes to see the Larrys of the world. May you bring us in contact with the Larrys, those who are hurting, those who are struggling, those who have never heard of you and know nothing of you, Heavenly Father, but they need your grace and your love and their your healing in their lives. May we be open to see them, to have compassion on them, and to the, lead them to you. To say it's not about what we know or what we say, it's about who we can introduce you to. So may we always be quick and willing to show the love of Christ and lead others to know you in a deeper way. Would you use us would we place ourselves on your altar to say, God, here we are, shape and mold us. May we do that not only as individuals, but as a church, Lord. Would you do your will with this church? May we not be locked into the ways we want to do ministry, the ways we think we should always do ministry, but may we be open to the coming kingdom of God and whatever you would have us do. May we be open to the fresh inspiration of the Holy Spirit to see how we can love our neighbors as ourselves, how we can advance the kingdom of God, and how we can proclaim the gospel in the 21st century. May you give us the tools, the imagination, and the willingness. May we use what you have given us as a church for the sake of your kingdom, not our kingdom. May we follow in the footsteps of Jesus the Nazarene, everything that we do. We do ask that you would bless our current ministries, the, the preschool ministry and Peggy and the teachers. Would you continue to increase that as we plant the seeds of faith in the little ones? May you help uh, and nurture the recovery ministries that we have here in hosting Narcotic Anonymous meetings. Will you help continue 
free people from the power of addiction and lead them to a saving knowledge of you. May you be with our food pantry ministry, Lord, bless that as we seek to love and, and uh, offer and share food with our hungry brothers and sisters. And Lord, uh, may we not be content with what we're doing, but always seek first the kingdom of God and everything that we do. Lord, we lift up those who are struggling today, and we think of our brother Richard as he's in the hospital still recovering. And we thank you for the progress that he has made, but we pray that your hand would continue to be upon him. Help him to, his lungs to breathe better and better every day. Help him to regain strength in his body and return him to us in the fullness of health, we ask. We pray for those who are mourning today, and I've got a number of reports of family members who have died. We, th- we think of uh, Dale and Becky's brother-in-law, Donnie, and his family, Lord. Would you just wrap them in your presence? We think of Lucia's family as they've uh, lost again this week, Lord. May you send your spirit to comfort them. Remember uh, Vivian Martin as she lost her sister this week, Lord. May you bless her, comfort her and the family as well. In these times of loss, Lord, may we keep our eyes focused on you. This life is not all there is. And I pray that we would put our sure trust and hope in you that one day we will step into your kingdom eternally. Lord, uh, we lift up our, our church leaders to you. And we think of Greg Mason, our district superintendent. Bless him for the work that he does. We lift up our missionaries and those Christians around the world advancing your kingdom. Be with those who are suffering on the account of the gospel around the world. May your hand of strength be upon them. And we lift up our local and our state and our national leaders, Lord. May you give them grace and wisdom to carry out their duties. And we, may we treat other nations rightly and promote justice and peace wherever we can. Lord, never let us get rigid. May you keep us fresh and open to your will and your way in the world. May we always, always, always see Jesus, who is the light of the world. Help us to pray as you taught us, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Church family, would you stand with me? Receive this benediction today. May you be the people of deep faith. May you not trust and lean on your own understanding, but may you grow deeper and deeper into a trusting relationship with Jesus Christ. Love in him and love of your neighbor.